listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Welcome to a special episode of this podcast, which was recorded at a New York Women in Communications event featuring Ariana Huffington. At this event, New York Wiki President Jackie Kelly, who's also the Chief Operating Officer at Bloomberg Media, interviewed Ariana about her experiences, advice, and, of course, sleep. We hope you enjoy this exclusive, candid conversation. All right, so I want to start um, with your upbringing because I know your mom um, was such an important um, uh, person for you in terms of who you are. And tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing and the role that your mom played and how that's imprinted your work today. The reason why my mother was so central, as I said in the season reel, is that she really um, always believed that you should aim for your dreams and, and made you convinced that it didn't matter if you failed along the way. And I think especially for women, it's so hard for us to risk failure because there's this perfectionism in us and uh, we almost like want guarantees before we fail. And, often the, the things that we most want are not guaranteed. You know, there is no certainty. And so when I literally saw a picture of Cambridge University in a magazine, now picture that, you know, I was living in Athens, I spoke no English and we had no money. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. My mother, my sister and I, my parents had divorced. And uh, I saw this picture of Cambridge and I said, I want to go there. And, and everybody said, don't be ridiculous. You know, you don't speak English, and it's, even, it's hard for even English girls to get there. My mother said, let's find out how you can get there. That. Good for mom. And she found out that I can go to the British Council and take my general certificate of education. And then I remember the best thing was when she came to me and she said, I found two cheap tickets for us to get to London and then we'll take the train and go to Cambridge so that we can see it. Well, not to see anybody there, but just like <laughs> see <it>. Cambridge. <laughs> but it probably gave you confidence. It's, you it was that, almost right? like, you know, the, um, it's really like a visualization, like it made it real. You know, this is a real yeah. place, not just a picture in a magazine. Yeah. And we went there and just pouring with rain and we saw Cambridge and I still loved it. And, and anyway, I remember literally the sort of um, long period of waiting to see if I got in. And, and then we get a, tel a telegram. That's, that's like those 3,000 years ago. There were <laughs> telegrams. <laughs> so it was a telegram that said awarded uh, uh, Gerton um, exhibition, which we didn't quite understand what it meant, but it turned out that I had gotten a scholarship, <laughs> so I I was able to go there, and that kind of changed my life. Yeah, sure. because it led to my first book and everything about my what happened, what followed up. So tell <laughs> us about tell us about your first book. Actually, so, let's start there, and then we'll go into more into Huffington Post. So. I was elected president of the Cambridge Union, which is a debating society, which is in itself kind of amusing because I, I, my accent was even heavier than it is now. And in England, you know, there's such a snobbery, at least there was at the time, about accents that nobody thought I would ever be elected to anything that required speaking. <laughs> and, but I, I was, and um, and. Uh, 
published, an English publisher happened to see a debate I was involved in, which was televised. And he wrote to me and asked me if I would write a book on the views I expressed in the debate. And I wrote back and I said, I can't write. And I was studying economics. And he said, can you have lunch? Here's an amusing, <laughs> <laughs> Here's an amusing English publisher. And he took me to lunch, and he offered me a modest advance and said, write this book. And um, if it's no good, I lost whatever, 3,000 pounds. And, and, uh, and if um, it's good, I'll publish it, and you'll be a published author. And, and that's what, that turned out to be my first book, which was um, called The Female Woman. And it was basically controversial at the time, because at the time, many of you were not alive. There was a huge kind of um, attack on women be having children. It was considered um, a product of social conditioning on women be having anything except careers. To, you know, it was like the extreme mm -hmm. of the extreme pendulum. The other way. Yeah. And basically, I was saying that women should be respected for whatever choices they make. There is no one way only to be mm -hmm. a fulfilled woman. And um, that, I was 23 at the time. And that was my first book, and it was a big success. The problem was that I didn't want to write anything more about women. Mm -hmm. And all anybody wanted me to write about was women. And, <laughs> and I felt I had said more than I knew at 23. <laughs> I think it's amazing, though, that at 23 you had the, the confidence and the, the point of view that was so strong that you could articulate that in a book. That in and of itself is... is um, evidence of, of what consistently became uh, so much of your contribution. So when you launched, I'm, I'm curious to go back to August. I'm going to bring us current to yes. August of last year. So you have built a brand from scratch. You, you fought a lot of criticism early on on the Huffington Post and, and certainly won out and proved the value. Um, sold it for a nice price to AOL and became its, its uh, editor. And then decided to leave in August. And I am curious how you made that choice and what was the magnet that was pulling you from what was another child of yours in so many ways. Yes, it's actually interesting because um, the journey that got me to Thrive Global started with a bang uh, on April 6, 2007. We're going to have our 10th anniversary any minute now when I collapsed from exhaustion and burnout at the beginning of Thrive. And, broke my cheekbone on the way down. And that was the beginning of my realizing that I had been living my life under the delusion that in order to succeed, I had to burn out. And also I realized this was not just my delusion, but a truly global delusion yeah. under which hundreds of millions of people are living. And that was sort of the beginning of my writing that book, then writing The Sleep Revolution, speaking about it, doing a conference. Remember, Jackie, you were there? I was there. I decided um, before Thrive was published to have a conference of friends in my apartment. I had just moved into my new apartment in Soho, and I thought I would invite some friends, and some friends grew and grew, and ended up being 300 friends. <laughs> Ariana had convinced me to get my, my CEO at the time on a panel that was called Men Who Get It. And he was so proud to be on that panel because he was a man who got it. And, and there were three others up there. Joe Scarborough was one of them, which yeah. was um, equally uh, really funny that day. And uh, so it was billed as men who, men who get it. And when Ariane got up to introduce them, she changed the title to Do Men Get It? <laughs> <laughs> and these three guys.
guys were like, well, I don't be on this panel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Yeah, so gradually, you know, that conference, then we did a bigger conference in a theater for 2,000 yeah. women. And then the book was published in 30 languages. Then people wanted to know more about sleep, so sleep came out. And I just realized that there was a real hunger for people to change the way they were working and living and that women had to lead the way. And in fact, on page 23 of Thrive, I say that this is the third feminist revolution mm -hmm. because men created the workplaces. Not all the enlightened men were here, but the other men. <laughs> and, and the way workplaces have been designed is not working. It's not working for women, it's not working for men, it's not working for polar bears. And, and, and we need to redesign them. And that's really um, why I'm so passionate about it and why I felt that I didn't just want to write and, and uh, speak about mm -hmm. it, but actually help people take uh, steps to change the yeah. way they work and live and realize they're going to be even more effective as a, as a result. Yeah. And it was hard because, as you know, Jackie, Hafus is like a third child. and. Uh, but I f and at first, I thought I would do it to 20% of my time. And then when I closed my Series A on, in August, I realized that I wanted to do it with 100% of my time. Yeah, exactly. And I remember talking to Sheryl Sandberg, who said, take a deep breath and jump. And that's really what it was. It was like you had to take a deep breath and jump. And uh, it was kind of agonizing for two months. But the minute I announced the yeah. decision, it, it felt liberated. Mm -hmm. So so for those who have not read Thrive, can you share the the metrics in Thrive around wisdom and wonder and give a little context of each of those those metrics? So um, basically Thrive is based on the assumption that um, the big debate about what is a good life that has preoccupied philosophers through the ages has shrunk and in our time down to what is a successful life, and what is a successful life has been shrunken down to money right. and power slash status. And that's an incredibly shrunken definition of success. It's a little bit like trying to sit on a two-legged stool. Sooner or later, you fall off. So for me, the third leg of the stool is these four um, pillars. The first is well-being. You know, if we sacrifice our health and well-being, there's no foundation, yes. And in fact, 80% of healthcare problems are stress-related and preventable. Just think of it, 80%. You know, heart problems, diabetes, um, reduction of your immune system, all these things are related to stress. The second is wisdom. You know, we, we do have that place of wisdom and strength and resilience in us, but we are so disconnected from it. The, and in fact, if you think of it, we're drowning in data and starved for wisdom. Right, right. The third is wonder. You know, we're always multitasking, thinking that makes us more efficient, but we miss out on the mystery and wonder of life. And the fourth is giving, which we now all know is a shortcut to happiness. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ariana, one of the things that, that you spend, and, and certainly the sleep revolution is a key part of this, is the role that technology has played. Yes in all of this. And I know that we see it as an enabler, and yet it is done, I often think we're all more connected than ever and yet more isolated in so many ways. And um, you've done a lot of research on this. Tell us a little bit about what you have found of technology's impact on our well-being and 
the tips that you offer to, you know, get away from that, improve that? So the, the role of technology to our lives is sort of a foundation of Thrive Global, my new company, in two ways, both um, in terms of our corporate offerings, you know, we literally go into corporations and help them, help their employees set boundaries to their um, connectivity. Mm -hmm. Because it is kind of amazing. Um, Every company we work with, whether it's Accenture and JP Morgan or um, Uber and um, Snapchat, Snap, sorry, um, we, um, we do a survey first. And large majorities, over 75, sometimes 91% in one survey of employees um, define their inability to disconnect from their devices as their biggest stressor. And what we have realized and all the data and all the new science shows that this is only going to get worse. Right. And I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's the president of a big advertising company actually who was in tears the other day because she said, I cannot connect with my teenage daughter. She said, it's as though the I'm in black and white and her phone is in glorious Technicolor. <laughs> and we see all the data about how um, teenagers are less and less empathetic, less and less able to connect on a right. human level. And for me, this is like an existential threat. You have no idea how serious I am about the need to set boundaries to technology and reconnect with our own humanity. Otherwise, we are truly lost. And again, women have to lead the way. Men are like boys. They want to get to Mars. You know, they want their toys. They want to live forever and have all their immortality projects, which are going nowhere, but nevertheless, hundreds of billions of dollars are spent, uh, you know, trying to make sure we live forever. We are not going to live forever. Let me break the news to you. We want to live longer and be well while we're alive. But let's just get living on this planet right for a minute before we try to get to Mars. And also, can we... I call it the inner space project. We are completely at, at a loss to know ourselves. Before we try to know outer space, can we just try to know inner space? So these are for me the big um, priorities. And, and the, way, the reason why co corporations are interested is because when people are totally disconnected from themselves, and hyperconnect technology, it affects the stress levels. Right. And affecting the stress oh, levels affects the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So if we were at a Thrive Global workshop right now, yes. give us an example of some of the activities we would be engaging in. So there is a menu that uh, you can choose from. Um, it's from a two-hour training to a one-day to a two-day uh, to an e-course which is available online if you only wanted to do online uh, trainings. And our e-course is a, um, a six-hour e-course that people can do one hour a week and work it. And, and it has two steps per hour. So it's a total of 12 steps. And I picked that deliberately because I think we right. are addicted right. to I this way it. of yeah. life and we need to change it. Yeah. And it has interesting guest teachers like the... The first hour, which is sleep and meditation, is Kobe Bryant as the teacher. 
Because interestingly enough, athletes are ahead of business people in realizing that in order to be the best on the court and in the field, they mm -hmm. have to take care of themselves. Uh, another thing, like JP Morgan chose to start their work with us with a 28-day challenge, which was launched to all the um, 300, 350,000 global employees from the C-suite. You know Kristen Lemkow yes. and Kelly Goff, who is the CEO of the private bank. And they brought in Jamie Dimon and uh, senior executives, and they asked all their global employees to pick one of four challenges to work on for 28 days. Sleep, unplugging from technology, gratitude, um, or mindfulness. And what was great is they each said in the video, which was distributed to everybody, what they would do. So Kristen said she was going to work on sleep and on unplugging from technology one hour a day. You know, you didn't have to pick huge right, targets right. and uh, four hours over the weekend, you know, kind of. And then she wrote about it, which we published on Thrive, and it yes, was sir. amazing. We had the, you know, a ABC Evening News call, tried to get her to be on because she was, she's also a very funny writer. And she was writing about how she finally got it right. She put her phone outside her room to charge, which is rule number one of a good night's sleep. Uh, she did everything right she was describing. And then at 3 o'clock, her, her son woke up and uh, vomited all over the <laughs> living room. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as her, she cleaned it all up, her other child vomited all over the living room. So, <laughs> So and the, the reason why that was so great is because we we all can identify that we are basically works in progress and even mm -hmm. with the best intention something happens your child yeah. gets sick your flight is delayed so nobody yeah. here is claiming that we're going to do it perfectly but being on this journey and knowing mm -hmm. what makes us um, happiest and most yeah. effective and sharing the stories with each other uh, makes a big difference yeah so you, um, you talk about uh, putting your phone outside uh, your room as, as job one. I know you have lots of rules for sleep. Can you and, and everybody has the book, so you will read these rules. But give us some of the other ones just so that we can potentially commit to this starting tonight, ladies and so gentlemen. I may, I'll make it super easy. And I promise you categorically that your life will dramatically improve if you get all the sleep you need most of the time. I mean, even I, and I'm, you know, a sleep evangelist, only get all the sleep I need 90% of mm -hmm. the time. So we're not talking about 100%, but if you do the right thing most of the time, then when something unexpected happens, A, you're not running on empty, and you have reserves to draw on, um, and B, it's the exception. It's not what you're doing chronically. So. The first thing is to create a transition to sleep. Those of you who have children know that you don't just drop your child in bed, right? You give it a bath, you sing it a lullaby, you read it a story. Sometimes you wish you could drop it in bed, but you know, your child needs to transition from the day and his or her activities to the time to surrender to sleep. I mean, Good Night Moon is the most popular Right. Bedtime book for a reason. You are saying good night to your world. I, I wrote yeah. a parody of Good Night Moon that you can download for free from Audible. It's called Good Night Smartphone. 
And so, how many of you sleep with your phones by your bed? Now, keep your, keep your hand up if your excuse is it's my alarm. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. This is the most important thing I'm going to say today. All right. You all have an assignment because everybody raised their hand, by the yes. way. Please start tonight by charging your phone outside your bedroom. And here's why this is amazing. First of all, if it's right outside your bedroom, you'll hear the alarm. Unless you're so sleep deprived that you're really catatonic. You can also get another alarm. But also, you know, <laughs> I know, I, didn't, I, I just wanted to say also that Pottery Barn has some beautiful, uh, old fashioned looking, vintage looking alarm clocks for $32. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have no excuse. Yeah. Um, we also sell alarms on, on thriveglobal.com, some of them very beautiful. The point is that charging your phone outside your room is essential because your phone is the portal to every challenge, every problem, every distraction in your life. And what happens, and we have all the data to show that, is that if you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't immediately fall back to sleep, you're going to be tempted to look at your phone. And if you look at your phone, if you look at one thing, then you start going down the rabbit right. hole. exactly right. You look yeah. at Instagram, and then you find yourself on Twitter, and then you find yourself right. on Snap, and whatever it is, and then you don't even know how long you've been. Yeah. So the transition to sleep starts with charging your phone outside your bedroom. Pick a time, 10 minutes before you turn off the light. I, I, my ritual is 30 minutes, but it doesn't matter. Start with five, start with one minute. We, we mm-hmm. Thrive Global is based entirely on micro steps. Don't try to make like huge yeah, resolutions, right. just small little manageable steps. The other thing that I love and do every night is to have a shower or a hot bath. I prefer a hot bath. Uh, because what it does is it washes the day away. It's like a ritual again. And it, you, you like find that your day is soaked away and you are ready to actually fully recharge and leave all the day's problems behind you. And even if it's not problems, I can bet that absolutely nobody here finishes a day having done absolutely everything they could have done that day. Is there anybody here who can say, I completed absolutely everything I would have done. There isn't a single thing more I could have done. Anybody here? Because if anybody here can say that your job isn't interesting enough. Yeah, not big enough. (laughs) You need to change Mm -hmm. jobs. But Mm -hmm. fortunately, nobody is raising their hand. I'm very glad that Monica and May, who work with me, are not raising their hand. Yes, (laughs) yes, at all. Yeah. All right. So phone outside. Phone outside, a bath Bath. or a shower, um, then dedicated sleep clothes. I used to sleep in the same clothes that I would go to the gym in. That's what I do. No. (laughs) What happens is that your... Maybe that's my problem. What happens is that your brain... I'm ready to go. Your brain gets confusing confusing messages. You know, are we going to sleep or are we going to work out? And I actually love rekindling the romance with sleep. Even if you're sleeping alone, just get some beautiful lingerie that's welcoming and inviting. What's so sad is I am not sleeping alone. 
And I'm still in my gym clothes. <laughs> but you know, just beautiful, lovely um, lingerie. Or if you don't want beautiful, lovely lingerie, get a t-shirt, but don't wear it to the gym. Okay. Dedicate it. And then only read real books in bed. No mm -hmm. screens, not even Kindle. Mm -hmm. Books. You know what's wonderful about them? They are tactile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you, fall, if you begin to fall asleep as you are reading, it doesn't matter. You're going to let it That's drop good. to the floor. Right. And only books that have nothing to do with work. Don't right. read about media right. and I sales. Don't. And, I don't. No. <laughs> I've got the other rules. I'm just stuck you know, in the gym clothes. Just got, <laughs> yeah. I'm sending you a pair of pajamas okay. tomorrow. <laughs> it's done. Uh, you know, just read, uh, you know, poetry, philosophy, mm -hmm. novels, things that kind of disconnect yeah. you from your life and uh, put everything in perspective. Yeah. History. The other tip that you taught me, which I do, is the night patch. I think for me, I need complete darkness and uh, silence. Mm -hmm. And also it's great because I have a little travel kit. You travel so much. I'm sure a lot of you travel. You have a little kit with a beautiful silk eye mask, because even on, in first class on planes, they give you these rough eye masks. Mm -hmm. And I also travel with a little silk pillowcase that I put the travel, the pillows they give you on planes in. And again, you feel like cozy, and it's like a little silk mm -hmm. on um, by your face. And, um, and Bose noise-canceling little earplugs or whatever that completely silences everything. If you think of the Huffington Post as being about everything, the Thrive Global Media Platform is just about this topic of how do we live our lives with less stress and more happiness and more fulfillment and more productivity. And sharing the stories, learning from each other is just a huge part of this. And creating new role models, seeing people in the arena mm -hmm. who are doing mm -hmm. these things. like. Um, we had a great piece, for example, by Jeff Bezos. And the headline was, Why My Sleeping Eight Hours a Night is Good for Amazon Shareholders. Yeah. So he made the connection between a fully recharged CEO and the bottom line. Then we had Selena Gomez do a piece on her digital detox. And Andre Guidola from the Golden State Warriors about how sleep and meditation improved his stats. Mm -hmm. Instead of just having all the people who, all the CEOs right. and successful right. executives talking about how they're always on yeah. and bragging about mm -hmm. how yeah. little sleep they get, we have new role models. Right. So I want to shift. Um, one, one of the topics we talk about a lot at New York Women in Communications is, is both leadership and skills that we need in order to, um, to be more successful. So you're giving us a lot of tips, but I'm, you... You hang out with Jeff Bezos and um, the CEO of Aetna, who has done a, you've studied and done a lot of work with him. And he's on my board for yes. Thrive Global. Uh, Jack Ma, you've given several examples, Kobe Bryant. What do you see consistent about the people that you've chosen to, to work with? What do you see consistent about their uh, leadership style that has, that has made them a more, um, I don't know, maybe in, inspired or evolved leader? from your perspective than a lot of the others? Independent, I yes. appreciate the sleep, but what other things are you seeing in them? I really think it's the ability to take challenges and uh, be resilient enough and inventive enough 
to turn them into the next opportunity. Yep. Uh, if you take Mark Bertolini, he broke his neck in a skiing accident. He spent the first year after he broke his neck um, completely uh, hooked on Oxycontin and not being able to function. He's the CEO of Aetna. He was the CEO of Aetna when he broke the, his uh, neck. And then he discovered yoga, meditation, acupuncture, and it changed his life. And what he says that is fascinating is that unlike most of us here, he actually has to stray on that has to stay on that straight and narrow. If he doesn't take care of himself, he's in excruciating pain. Mm. So why, like, if you don't mm -hmm. sleep enough or I don't mm -hmm. sleep enough, we can still function, right. Right. he becomes incapacitated. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Devon Spurgeon, who talks, has MS. Right. Yeah. And Devon says the same thing. It's like, if she doesn't do this thing, she can't walk. So I think we are starting a section on Thrive Global about people with chronic conditions, chronic pain, mm -hmm. chronic autoimmune diseases, and how they're really an incredible example and role model to the rest of us, the way they manage their lives, the way self-care for them is not an optional thing. Mm -hmm. and, and also the way they live life with a lot of gratitude, mm -hmm. when they can actually manage things so they can be productive and effective instead of just managing the pain. Yeah, yeah. So that's just one example. I think Jack Ma is another example. I, it was actually interesting because uh, three years ago I spoke at his first women's conference in Hongzhou and I spoke about Thrive and at dinner that night he said to me, the burnout you described is going to be the biggest crisis in China. We have over a hundred million mm -hmm. people suffering from mental health issues that are stress related. Right. And actually, he said to me, I think you should leave HuffPost and just launch a company to deal with this wow. thing. Because he said, there's no market leader, and, and if you do that, I will invest in you. And I said to myself, this guy is crazy. I'm go never going to leave the Huffington Post. I don't know what he's talking about. Wow. But outwardly, I said, yeah, thanks, Jack. Great idea. <laughs> and... <laughs> Wow. Then when I decided to do it, I reached out and he actually was my first investor. And um, he gets it, and he gets it also from the point of view of the Chinese philosophy of the Tao and yin yang. Yeah. If you think of it, yin yang is about everything we're saying. Mm -hmm. It's like yang is you go out and achieve and conquer. Yin is you come back and refuel. Mm -hmm. We have lost that mm -hmm. cycle of refueling. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of different generations um, here tonight. We have some students who are contemplating, you know, their first career. We have people that have, uh, have, uh, you know, succeeded and yet might feel unfulfilled in some ways. I am curious, Ariane, if you were giving advice to people as just the, sort of the one skill that you believe has been the most critical for you in your leadership and in your life, um, what would the skill be um, so that we can all think about our ability to learn that skill if we don't already have it? especially for students. So I really think that um, the biggest skill for me is not to be totally identified um, with your role as a leader and therefore being willing 
um, to take risks, yes. um, to see um, the icebergs before they hit the Titanic, mm -hmm. um, to see opportunities before others see them, and to recognize what's happening in the zeitgeist. I think the most successful leaders see something in the air and tap into it before others do. Mm -hmm. And often it's so much before others see it that others don't even know what, mm -hmm. um, what they're seeing. Yeah. And often it's actually um, before consumers see it. You see a need before they recognize mm -hmm. it. You know, famously Henry Ford said, if I had asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted a faster horse. Yeah, for those Bloombergs in the audience, uh, Michael often say, why would you ask your customer what they want? They don't know. They want you to show them something yes, that they need. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really yeah. key. Well, what's interesting about that as a skill is that is a, that is, I, I find that personally as a leader to be a very difficult skill, but it's almost impossible if you're not refueled Absolutely. and healthy and, and able to take in a lot of information based on just being healthy. And not be lost in the data. Right but be able to see the patterns. Right. Um, and uh, one of the problems with swimming in data is that sometimes we don't see the noise from the signal. Yeah. Um, what do you think, the, the U.S. specifically has, has fallen back in its um, progress in gender equality? Um, for, for those of you who like stats, we were number 21, we moved to number 28, we're now 42 or something like that. So we have made a pretty significant slide, and this is based on the World Economic Forum's rankings. Uh, countries like Rwanda and uh, Norway are making considerable progress. Um, and at the same time, we have organizations, and I'm so proud of this one, who have significant contributions and focus on diversity and inclusion. So we certainly know it's important. We know we... we have an agreement, I believe, broadly. A lot of research that McKinsey has done will say, you know, we it's seen as a top priority, and yet we're still not making progress in so many ways. Um, whether it be um, C-suite, whether it be women on boards, although there's some progress there. What do you think the barriers are in the work you do? So I really believe um, that the way workplaces are fueled by burnout and stress is going to make it very hard for women yeah. to stay and rise to the top. And yeah. I see that I'm, I'm the only woman on the board of Uber, so I've been very involved in the changes that we are making there now. And, uh, and I've seen how the culture that makes it hard for women to rise to the top is fueled by this culture. completely delusional way of thinking a hyper-growth company needs to operate. So the, f the first step is changing a false belief. Mm -hmm. And you may think, how come an entire culture has believed something so false for decades? Mm -hmm. And I've actually studied that. And it goes back to the first industrial revolution, when we started thinking that we can treat human beings like machines. And just think of it, the goal of machines is to minimize downtime. But for the human operating system, downtime is not a bug, it's a feature. Like humans need downtime. <clears throat> just go back to the myth of the creation. You know, God created heaven and earth. It took six days. 
and then she took the seventh day off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, just think of it. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, really yeah. didn't need to take a day off. Mm -hmm. That is the message to us humans. And we have forgotten that message. We really think if we're going to be amazing leaders, we just need to be always on. And I think changing that delusion is going to be the first key to creating a culture where women can thrive and, uh, and really rise to yeah. the top. Women have a harder time managing. We have the data for that. And women in stressful jobs, and I'm sure that's everybody in this room, have a 40% greater risk of heart disease and a 60% greater risk of diabetes. And the reason is because, you know, we tend to, to be much more perfectionist, much more judgmental of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. that, you know, we have mm -hmm. that self thing going mm -hmm. on, the obnoxious roommate living in our head that puts mm -hmm. us down, doubts us. Mm -hmm. And we need to be working on all that, but in the meantime, it takes a bigger toll on us. Right, right. Each person here needs to be convinced for themselves that taking care of ourselves is going to make us more productive and more effective. Because the reason we sacrifice taking care of ourselves is because we think we have so much to do that we just don't have time to worry about sleep and um, recharging moments during the day. And when we realize that, in fact, we're going to be more productive, because really what we're managing is not time, but energy. You know, when you're running on all cylinders, you can write a report, you can come up with a great idea, you can do it all. When you're exhausted, I mean, everything takes longer and is not as good. Mm -hmm. But you have to totally convince yourself, because we are still swimming against a culture that doesn't believe that. You know, change is mm -hmm. happening, the culture is shifting, mm -hmm. but the dominant mainstream culture at the moment is still under the delusion uh, that to be a super successful person in the arena, you, well, you just have to sacrifice your own health and well-being. So the first step for me is kind of recognizing that these things are not optional, and uh, then creating like a support system. We call it a thrive tribe. Even if it's of one other person, that is your accountability body. So if you, have a, if you have a physical therapy appointment that you need to make every week, you have somebody on your team who will hold you accountable to make it. So you support each other. And then share your story. I think it's just amazing. We are finding it incredible on on um, thriveglobal.com, how these stories make such a difference. Because you may share something that you are doing or a problem you are having, and that's exactly what somebody else needs to read. And one more thing, because this is mostly a women's group. I think one thing that puts women at a huge competitive disadvantage is the fact that we think we have to wear a new outfit for every... Oh, I love this, yes. So as Jackie knows, we have started a new campaign at Thrive Global that we call Hashtag Repeats. <laughs> so we want you to proudly repeat things. 
And if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook or anything, you'll see that I proudly share all my repeats. Um, <laughs> and uh, I like, in fact, for not just for everyday occasions, but big occasions, like I uh, last year, and I'm going to do the same this year, the, at the Time 100 dinner, um, and then the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is four days later, I wore the same long dress, and then I Instagrammed me wearing the same. <laughs> so because so it's basically turning social media on its head. Right now, social media yeah. makes women feel even more that they have to not repeat things because everybody yeah. sees it on their Facebook. Or, and we want to like uh, be proud of repeating things because men... Just think of it. Right. I mean, it's just so easy. They just they turn up in a suit and a tie. And, and I think for us, it's, even if money was not an object, just the amount of mm -hmm. mind share. Yeah. I uh, have a, uh, uh, when I was on, in, at the agency, we did a study because we believed that this was a real issue for women. So we had um, uh, uh, two different account managers, one female, one male, and they had to wear the same thing every day and see how long it took for people to realize it. Do you want to know how long it took for people to realize she wore the same thing? A day. The next oh. day. You didn't wear that yesterday. Oh, my how God. How long did Can it take for that? <laughs> I never write about yes. it. How, how long do you think it took for people to realize this guy was wearing the same clothes every day? <laughs> they never noticed. <laughs> they never noticed. I love it. <laughs> they never noticed. He did buy multiple times because he realized this was going to be a problem. So, full disclosure. But thank you. You are a true inspiration in thank so many you. ways. So, thank, thank you, you for being here. Very much. You've been listening to a special episode of Coffee Break with New York Wiki, featuring a compelling conversation between Ariana Huffington and Jackie Kelly. We'd love for you to check out more episodes of this podcast at nywici.org slash podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.